there's people that argue about their scoring system is biased this way or that way. It's like, you know what? I don't care. It's relatively accurate. And it's, again, if somebody just had no idea if you're going to purchase a house or something and you want to just get an idea whether that has had a history of water damage or not, you could use this ERMI. And I think it would be a very good indicator to you in terms of whether there's water damage or, or mold contamination in the house. You are listening to the Manage Mold Podcast. This podcast was made for families on a health journey that need the real, no-holds-barred answers on how to create and ensure a healthy home. This show should be your launching pad to give you the information, guidance, and inspiration and clarity you need on your journey back to a healthy home. My name is Dean Malstead. You can find and follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Welcome to Manage Mold. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Manage Mold podcast. We have got some great information today about sampling and about how to do assessments in your home and a little bit about what that looks like. And the key of what we're going to talk about today is the ERMI. And this is a test method that was performed back in 2006. EPA and CDC were involved, approximately 1,200 homes. And there was a scoring system that was assigned to that uh, assessment protocol. And there are doctor groups today that are telling all y'all to use the ERMI and dust collection method uh, with Swiffers and and, uh, sometimes the vacuum cassettes, the way it was originally done, to assess what is going on in your home. And I want to cover a little bit of what ERMI really is and if it can or cannot benefit you. And I want to start out with this, and I want to tell you how long this uh, conversation has been going on about ERMI and about the use of ERMI. Obviously, 2006 it started, but in 2012, there was controversy that had been brewing over the use of ERMI in doing assessments, which if you read the EPA guidelines, they will tell you not to do that. And this is a, there's an article in a magazine called Cleaning and Restoration. It's the March-April issue of 2012. And I'm going to read the first two paragraphs from an article called Mold Testing. The old, the new, the useful. And it goes on and says, the conversations about mold testing are always interesting and the participants are almost always frustrated. Struggling homeowners who have been sick and are desperate to find out if mold is really the cause, restoration contractors who are, who are upset because they have failed a post-remediation clearance and do not understand why, or doctors trying to find reliable indicators on the environmental side that correlate with health symptoms are all interested in sampling for mold. Despite this common interest, There is often little that connects those scenarios because of the proliferation of sampling options for fungal and other biological contaminants in the past decade. Throw in substantial variations in analytical methods, as well as a lack of consensus identifying comparison criteria for the data that is generated from the samples, and you can begin to understand why confusion reigns in many parts of the mold remediation industry. That's an article from March, April, 2012 from the restoration industry. And that article is written by Michael Pinto. And we have Michael Pinto back on the podcast today. Michael, welcome. Hello, Dean. Thank you again for having me on. It's always a pleasure. So we want to very simply do an overview of ERMI because there are a lot of clients that we deal with who have been told by their doctors to go ahead and, and use the ERMI Swiffer dust sampling method, send it into the lab to get results back so that the medical practitioner can build some sort of a correlation between their environment and their health. And I want to go through a little bit about what you know about this, the history and where we're at currently today, so that we can give anyone who's listening to this podcast a really good foundation of what ERMI is and what it is not. Well, good. So let's start at the very beginning then. ERMI is spelled E-R-M-I and stands for Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. I always laugh when I say moldiness because I'm not sure it's a word. 
But if the EPA puts it into a title, then I guess it it automatically qualifies because they're a government agency. But the Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. And the history is important here. I'm going to take just two minutes and kind of backstop this. So the Environmental Protection Agency has an indoor air quality component or division to that agency. And back at the beginning of the 2000s, there was a interest in trying to figure out, first of all, what is the average indoor environmental quality of a uh, home in the United States. And so they went into all the data in terms of the geographics and uh, tried to identify homes that would be representative of the United States. And so they looked at identifying rural and urban and multi-story and single story and rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods. And they, they actually did quite a good job, in my opinion, in terms of doing that basic research and identifying houses that they could then go in and do an investigation and aggregate data from those houses and get an idea of what the air quality was in these different houses. Um, these investigations were quite uh, invasive in a way in that they went in and they uh, did interviews with the occupants, they did visual inspections, they took a whole bunch of samples, um, not just for mold, but for other indoor air quality things. So there's just a wealth of data that was created in this uh, process. One of the sub uh, points of that inspection process was trying to identify a simpler way of evaluating homes for water damage and mold growth without having to take multiple dust samples, multiple air samples, without necessarily even having to do a very uh, detailed visual inspection. Was there some quick way that we could just um, really identify whether the house has been water damaged in the past and has some mold contamination in it? And from that desire to have a quick assessment method, this idea of ERMI, the Environmental Relative Moldiness Index, was developed. And they tried lots of things. They looked at dust samples. They looked at air sample results. They looked at cultured samples and spore trap samples. But they also were playing with one of the new analytical techniques that was out there, which is essentially a DNA replication technique, where you take some dust, and if it's got organic matter, there's a way that you can enhance that organic matter to the point where then you eventually can identify specifically what it's coming from. And that could be insect parts, it could be skin cells, it could be mold spores, uh, even bacteria, and that sort of stuff. It's a very powerful analytical technique. And specifically, they wanted to see, can we apply that to mold and come up with a straightforward, easy sampling method that's going to get us an answer to whether there's mold or water damage in a house. That process of going through all that information and coming up with that environmental relative moldiness index actually was done by an EPA scientist, but he then claimed that as his own work and and eventually licensed that through the EPA so that the scientist who developed it with our taxpayer dollars now is actually making money on people using that. So I'm not sure what you think of that, but uh, (laughs) that's probably a discussion for another day. But anyway, if you look into the whole process there, the ERMI, the way the process works is that there's, they identify 26 different types of spores that they believe are related to the water damaged indoor environment. And then they also identify 10 spore types that are typically found in homes that they feel is transitional from outside air into inside air. And by coming up with a ratio between those two groups of spores, then they come up with a score, which is what they call an ERMI score. And then that score has a chart, uh, which goes from, it goes up past 20, but I think it's minus 10 to plus 20. And zero is you know, going to be your midpoint, which would be an indication that that's a normal house. If it's less than zero, in other words, it's on the negative side, you're cleaner than normal, or you have less potential for water damage and mold growth than normal. And if you're greater than zero, then, then the idea is that you would have 
a um, as that number gets higher and higher, you have an increasing indication that the house is water damaged. And quite bluntly, if you use the process the way it was developed by the EPA, I, I think you get some pretty good data. You can take one sample, you vacuum a large square of carpeted surfaces in the living room and in the main bedroom. So it's a composite sample. And and that's 18 square feet each area measured out, right? Five minutes. Over so five minutes. So that you're, they, they're controlling the same yes. mechanism so that you can get similar results and then you can aggregate and then you can compare this data. Yep. So that's the first thing is that from a scientific standpoint, I thought the collection process and even some of the analytical, well, certainly the analytical, but even some of the interpretive, I thought was well thought out. Now, people argue, and some of my colleagues, and if you want to really get into the weeds, which we don't today, there's people that argue about their scoring system is biased this way or that way. It's like, you know what? I don't care. It's relatively you know, accurate. And it's, again, if somebody just had no idea, if you're going to purchase a house or something and you want to just get an idea whether that has had a history of water damage or not, you could use this ERMI. And I think it would be a very good indicator to you in terms of whether there's water damage or, or mold contamination in the house. So can I interrupt you quickly right there and just ask you, without getting too far off track where you want to go, but at that very point, the super important point to me is to do ERMI the way ERMI was first done, and that would be to measure out those areas, vacuum those carpet areas into that, that cartridge that was supplied or that was used then, so everything is measurable back to the original, versus what most people are being given is a Swiffer stuffed in a Ziploc bag from somebody in a lab someplace, and they're just going around haphazardly wiping things. Well, it's worse than that, Dean, in some, in some respects, <laughs> is that they're not even given a Swiffer that has, which is essentially another, uh, that's the commercial name for a microfiber wiping cloth. But instead of being given one, they're just told to go out and buy a commercial one. And so if you buy Swiffer, are you going to get the same pickup over the same surface area as if you buy a generic Swiffer? Yep. And if you use a wet Swiffer instead of a white, a dry Swiffer, like they tell you to, is that going to make a difference? The instructions from the laboratories, in my opinion, many of them are horrible because, like you said, they just tell you to wipe surfaces all over your house until you can see enough dirt collected on your house or on a Swiffer wipe there that it's visible. And then, like you said, you put it in a bag and send it to them. They do the analysis. They're taking parts and pieces of the ERMI sampling process and they're using it, but they're not using it the way that it was designed and they're not using it the way where there was some controls and validation built in place. Yep. Now, admittedly, I will say that some of the laboratories have said, well, we've been having people do this for years now. And so we've got our own database and our database shows that this is valid but I'm not sure how they determine validity because they're not necessarily going back and saying, okay, they, I have never seen a study where the laboratory has collected data and then gone back to each one of those clients and said, hey, here's a form to fill out. Do a visual inspection, do some air samples or do some tape samples of areas that you see to, so that I have a different inspection methodology that I can match with my data from the laboratory that then says, okay, what we're getting from these Swiffer wipes is validated. And that's essentially what the EPA had to do with these 1,200 houses or thereabouts. They had to go in and, like I said before, do these interviews, do these extensive visual inspections, and then use that sampling to help simplify some of that. So without having that level of validation, and I have to admit, you know, I try and keep my eyes on lots of things in the industry, and perhaps there is a laboratory or a group who has somehow done that where they've taken the Swiffer wipe results, put them into an ERMI-style analysis, and then taken those results and somehow compared it to other indicators in a house visible mold, visible dampness, symptoms of the people, maybe that's out there. 
I have never seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. So if you don't have the validation, if you're taking a test method and you don't have a validation to compare the two, then where do you get your validity for it? So let me just give you an example. I know that this is starting to get pretty obtuse for people and they're thinking, what the heck am I listening to the end of this for? Right? <laughs> so let me simplify it for them. So we now have these thermal scanners that we can put on our forehead of a child instead of putting it under their tongue or for a baby. The premier for years for a baby was to do a rectal temperature because you couldn't guarantee that the baby would keep it under their tongue, right? So the people who developed the thermal scan on the forehead or the one in their ear where they now take an infrared and just put it in your ear and stuff, those aren't the same temperatures, okay? So if I take a temperature on my forehead, it's not going to be 98.6, right? That's an internal temperature. So they had to do these huge studies to validate over all sorts of people with different body temperatures and people that were sick and not sick, what the temperature range on the forehead or in the ear means in comparison to what we're normally seeing on a thermometer under the tongue or, you know, some other orifice of the body. Right. And without that comparison, you just have numbers. You just, and then you're just making stuff up. So again, I'm not necessarily suggesting that labs are making stuff up, but until I see that there's been the research to do that comparison, how do I know what that temperature number on the forehead really indicates a flu or illness if there isn't some level of validation behind that that correlates it back to the, you know, the thermometer under the tongue? Yeah, that, those are great points. So with ERMI and thinking about other sampling methods, obviously in comparison to doing a visual investigation, looking for areas of water damage, which to me is the key. What do you suggest to homeowners to do? Their doctor is telling them to do this thing, which the doctors don't understand even why they're telling them to do this. And I've been in meetings with doctors to find this out. They don't even know why, except that it resembles what they do in medicine is that you try and run some sort of a diagnostic test to then be able to, to prescribe something that it's diagnose, prescribe or test, diagnose, prescribe. What do you suggest to people on how they should respond or what they should do? Well, first of all, I would never interfere between a, a doctor-patient relationship, and I would never tell a patient that they should not follow their doctor's recommendations. But what I would say is that just like with everything else that you do with your doctor, you should be knowledgeable. If he's asking you to go on a certain sort of diet to deal with something, do some research on that diet and understand what that means. And the same thing here, if they're asking you to do dust collection and they want that analyzed via ERMI or there's, a, there's now a hybrid of that called HERTSME, which is H-E-R-T-S-M-I, but it's the, an acronym was picked so that it spells out HERTSME, meaning I can get data on my house and it will tell me if my house is hurting me. Correct. So I, I appreciate that. I mean, that helps people kind of simplify some things. But again, you have to be a knowledgeable consumer, whether you're buying a vacuum or whether you're buying an air purifier or whether you're, you're taking advice from your doctor, you still have to be a knowledgeable consumer and you have to ask the right questions. And if the doctor doesn't have the right answer or a good answer, or if the vacuum salesperson <laughs> doesn't have a good answer, you need to investigate and then you need to do some of your own homework. We can't just be passive consumers. Right. So that's the first thing that I tell people about ERMI is that don't be passive. Look into this a little bit. The article that you just mentioned, the mold sampling, the old, the new, the useful, is a good primer on that. I'm assuming that you'll have that up on your links and stuff so that they can get it there. And it's written in layman's terms. It only takes 10, 12 minutes for them to read the article and get a basic understanding of what we're talking about. If you do have a doctor that's telling you to do the uh, ERMI style sampling or hurts me sampling, you know, I would be very concerned if you're just following the general directions that you get from the laboratory where they say use a Swiffer wipe. I would personally like to see people going back to using the vacuum collection tools and measured yes. amounts and things like that. That might be a bridge too far, so to speak, in terms of trying to get the consumers to do that because they have 
already been programmed to do something simpler. So I've kind of taken a middle ground position with my clients when I talk to them about these things. And I say, if you're going to use a Swiffer, get one from the laboratory. Don't just go out to the store and get it because, and I don't know if the laboratories are doing any quality control either, but at least that way, if it's coming from the laboratory, then the burden is on them to get you some collection device that they think is going to be appropriate. Number two, put a pair of gloves on, you know, clean surgical style gloves before you take any samples. Number three, have a ruler or a, you know, measuring tape with you. And then number four, I tell our clients to, if you want to do a general assessment of a home or you want to do an assessment of a room or whatever it is, we generally tell them do 10 surfaces one foot long. So you take your measuring tape or your ruler and you just lay it down and you take your Swiffer wipe with your gloved hand, wipe in one direction with the flat of your palm in one direction for one foot. And then if you need to do different surfaces, you can do, in in my opinion, we generally tell them to do 10 different surfaces. So you could do two surfaces and five rooms, and that will get you a good composite of a house a lot of times, or at least a floor of a house. But it's really important that you use that tool in the right direction. If there's, if you know anything about the science of Swiffer-style wipes, which are really microfiber claws, there's lots of, of uh, scientific studies that show if you move in two directions, in other words, back and forth, you're picking up a lot of stuff, and then on the back swing, you're losing a good percentage of it. Yes. And so the back and forth motion, uh, when they're doing training for cleaning in hospitals and infection control with microfibers and stuff, it's very critical that the people sweep in what they call an S pattern, where the leading edge of the wipe is always the leading edge of the wipe. There isn't any reason we shouldn't learn from that and apply that to this situation. I mean, if somebody's smart enough to write down the 10 locations, and that's the other thing, you should document where you're doing your sampling. Exactly. But there's no reason why we shouldn't learn and then say, okay, just measure it out. Have some consistency. Because otherwise, you know, a lot of times these results then will lead to remediation. And then later on, somebody wants to say, well, is the house safe for me to go back into, or is it better now that the remediation's been done? And that's when it even gets crazier. We hear uh, people talking about laying out garbage bags for multiple days and wiping the plastic on the garbage bags to see what's settled on that. And you have people just doing composites of the whole house, and then they don't have enough material on the wipe to analyze. And so the lab sends back and they say, just keep wiping. Literally, we've had clients to get a post-remediation that have wiped like whole rooms that have already been cleaned by the contractor just to get enough dust so that the analysis can be run. And at some point, you've got to say, well, wait a minute. Um, You know, there's not even enough dust to run the analysis. And we can't find enough DNA in there to actually replicate to get the numbers that we need to give you an answer, doesn't that mean we win? From that should a, be a good sign, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so just some basic things like that. Identify the surfaces that you're going to take samples of. Take a, a number of surfaces. Wipe in a single direction. If you do pre and post, do the same surfaces. You don't necessarily have to tell the contractor that you wiped a window ledge or a door frame or top of a refrigerator or something like that, you don't want to tell them the 10 surfaces so that they either intentionally or just subconsciously make those cleaner. But it certainly gives you some basis for comparison later. And I would also just point out, Dean, I've got to jump into this because this is just driving me crazy. You have to be really careful about using these Ermi style samples, whether they're vacuum style samples or whether they're uh, Swiffer wipe samples for post remediation determinations, because they're ratios. The Ermi is a ratio. They're looking at the number of what they call spores from water damage sources that are in your house versus outdoor style spores. And if you get surfaces really clean, anybody who knows even just kind of seventh grade math, 
understands that as the numerator goes down and as, as you get things really clean, you can get really weird results from a ratio. Yes. And then the other thing that people don't understand with the ERMI is that they use a logarithmic ratio, which then magnifies these sorts of problems. Yep. So in, the numbers aren't real in the end. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, it's not a good tool for post-remediation. Correct. I think it's designed for what it was designed for, which is, let's take a look and see if this is a water damage house and if you have problems. Yeah. But at the same time, if we know we've got a water damaged house and we've got people that are being sick, we've got water sources, we know where the mold was, or we had remediation, the question becomes, what is the use of the information we're getting from the ERMI sample? Exactly. ERMI sample at that point. Yes. So, so let me make a couple statements. Tell me what you think about them. The first one is this. If I know I have a water damage area and if I have seen or and or if I've seen visible mold, there really isn't a, a strong case to use or spend the money on ERMI at that point. You're better off spending the money towards remediation to remedy those issues. Yes, but there may be some value in sampling in another direction. You see, the ERMIs tend to be used as composite samples and so they tend to wipe a number of different surfaces for two reasons. One is that that's how they were originally designed, is to be an overall measure. But number two, because they have to have a certain amount of dust on the cloth or on the vacuum filter before they can you know, effectively run the analytical process. So those two things tend to push us toward composite sampling. If I've got visible mold in a house, the question is not, do I have spores around? The question is, where are the spores? So for the cost of a single army, I'd rather take 10 tape samples and go around different surfaces that I know, okay, the problem's in the basement. We know that the visible mold is in the basement. The people aren't feeling well. They become sensitized. Do they feel better in their bedroom? Do they not feel better in their bedroom? If they're not feeling better in the bedroom, is there any analytical evidence that might support that? So we take some tape samples on their contents or on the dressers and stuff and see what the extent of the problem is. So a lot of times if there's mold in the basement, for example, when we're doing an inspection, I won't sample with an ERMI. And I'm also getting to the point, and this is hard for a laboratory guy to admit, but you know, we're also getting to the point sometimes I won't even do air samples or, or tape samples down there. It's contaminated. We're going to clean it. Yeah, yeah. But what I want to spend my sampling on is where is it upstairs? Because I already know I'm going to tell them, hey, it's visible down there. We're going to tell them until you get something done, we're going to isolate the basement. We're going to jump right to the practical aspects of this. So taking an air sample downstairs, is that really going to convince me that they shouldn't isolate the basement when there's visible stuff down there? Probably not. But an air sample upstairs and tape samples upstairs may help me determine whether it's okay for them to stay up there. Or if they wanted to do an ERMI sample upstairs but not downstairs, that might be a helpful measure. So I can see where the doctors are pushing some of this because they do want some analytical information. And quite honestly, I think some of the other sampling techniques have gotten a bad rap. The tape samples, the, mm-hmm. the air samples, you know, the cultured samples sometimes when we need them. For two reasons. One is people don't do them right. Sometimes the labs don't analyze them right. But the most important thing, people don't interpret it. They don't have a sampling plan to begin with. So they don't know what questions they're trying to answer. So they get data back and they have really no way of understanding what that data means. And so it must mean that the whole sampling process is stupid. If I take a bad air sample and have no idea how to analyze it, and then present goofy information to my clients, yeah, I would say the same thing. Well, that, why did you waste my money on that sampling? It doesn't mean that the sampling methodology, the spore traps, the tape lifts, the cultured sample, it doesn't mean that those are bad. It just means you've got idiots that are doing it. Agreed. Totally agree. Yep. Sorry. They're, these are all, these are all said idiots, right? Well, you know, if the name fits. So I, you're, <laughs> you're much better at, building bridges than I am someday. So I'll forgive you for that one easily. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I usually, you know, I just get frustrated. Yes. See this. And 
basically what it comes down to is people practicing in a very important industry without putting the effort or the knowledge to understand what they're doing. And that's across the board. That's laboratories and analysts, that's inspectors, that's contractors, that's yep. doctors. Yep. And I think that's the big frustration when you talk about managed mold and you're focused on sensitized individuals. I don't know about you, but the average, I'd have to, we might actually have to do a study on this. So this is more of an impression of mine rather than, than analytical data. But my impression is that by the time we start talking to them and sharing some of these facts and things with them, they've gone through two or three contractors, they've gone yes. through two or three consultants, yes. and they probably even have gone through two or three doctors because yes. they just aren't getting things explained to them in a way that makes sense. Here's the crazy simple part to me. When I compare exactly the groups that you just called out, I will dare say that in our various industries, and I will include the medical profession, and there are good ones in all of these, but if we were all brake mechanics operating the way that a bunch do, the ones that you called out who are the bad actors in this, if we were brake mechanics, we would have so many lawsuits and so many injuries and so many deaths that would be so prevalent on the news, it would make our heads spin. And for whatever reason, there are no mechanisms in our industries to make the worst go away and more people the best. Is that fair? Well, I think it's fair, but I wouldn't necessarily just call out our industry either. I mean, there's still bad auto mechanics. I know. Carpenters. There's bad I know. Plumbers. I mean, there's any trade that you get into and there's bad car salesmen and there's sure. car manufacturers. The key I think that you're getting to is that we have better mechanisms to identify the good and the bad ones in some of these other industries. Right. Part of that, Dean, is just that we've been in it a long time. And for us, this is, oh, this is like a whole career. You've been with your personal journey through the mold illness with you and your family. I mean, that's been a 10 or 12 year adventure for you. And I hope that's the best word that I can use for it. Yeah, it's an adventure. <laughs> yeah, but challenge and everything. And yeah, but good ending. Yeah, but long time, right? Yep. But from an industry perspective, that's not very long. When you realize we've been building cars since the 1880s, I think. Yes. My history's right. Yes. And if you, and if you, you know, we've been plumbing buildings since the Roman times or before. Yes. Uh, you know, so we're relatively tiny in terms of the history of the whole mold arena. That's why in my classes, I think it's so interesting to go back to the Bible and look at what Leviticus says and how the basics of how we deal with mold. Yes. Although the techniques have changed and we've got sampling and analytical and all this stuff, but the basics of how we deal with mold. In the Bible, they just said, hey, if it's visible and you get a third party, meaning the priest, to come in and see that it's visible, you haven't done your job. You haven't remediated the mold and therefore we're not even going to go any farther. And if it's on the clothing, you have to throw the clothing away. And, and if it comes back, you have to do more to get rid of the cause of the situation. Right. Yep. And, and it sounds horrible when you read the Bible because they, they say that you have to tear down the whole house right. in that situation. But in many respects, that's what we're doing now. I mean, if you've got foundation leaks that we can't take care of, sometimes we have to tear out foundations and rebuild them. Sometimes we have to tear out walls and rebuild them and stuff. That's just part of the process. So, you know, the modern mold adventure is only 20 years old. Really, and, it is. And if we don't understand and appreciate that, we don't appreciate the fact that it takes a while for industries to become self-regulating, self-policing, and the consumers to catch up with all that information. So, so here's another question going back to, because you actually answered two of my questions in there. And, and I wanted to ask you about hurts me. If you're a client and you're short on cash and your doctor says, well, at least do hurts me. This one really bothers me because why is it that literally one person, maybe with a couple of advisors decided that five particular molds are the only ones that make people sick. Cause I, I see all kinds of situations where somebody does a hurts me score and qualitatively I can see what shows up on the scoring 
I don't really care about the quantitative, the numbering system of, of Ermi or Hertz me, but qualitatively I can see which molds show up and then I can do my own sampling. I can see other molds that show up that I know from previous experience with clients really make people sick and they aren't on the magic list of Hertz me. Would you tell people to do whatever they can to come up with the 150 bucks if they insist on doing Ermi anyway, in spite of everything we've talked about? Or what, what would you say about that specifically, about Hurts Me? Well, first of all, I would say that, again, I'm not dogging the whole system. I think there's value to being able to determine whether a building is um, water damaged and potentially mold contaminated by taking a single sample. I mean, that is an easy way to get an assessment of a building. That's what the ERMI was designed for. Now, Hurts Me, to answer your question as to why the five magic molds came out of the 26 you know, I've looked at some of the research that was behind the, the Hertz me and, and it's quite extensive. If my numbers are correct, and it's been a while since I've looked at that, I think he had 1,500 samples, ERMI sample results, that he also matched with medical information and then tried to find a correlation between not just the overall ERMI score, but individual parts and pieces of the ERMI score and which people were doing better in their houses and which people were still having symptoms in their houses. So the analytical behind that, and I don't know if it's been validated by anybody else other than the original, you know, uh, person who came up with that, but the analyticals make some sense to me. I mean, at least you're comparing numbers to reported symptoms or blood levels or all the different things that they do in that. So I don't have as much of a problem with that one. Uh, from the standpoint that I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't evaluate whether that scoring system that that was developed for the Hertz me really correlates to the symptoms and everything as well as it should. But a lot of our our clients seem to find some value in that, and and so again, for a general assessment, I would say yes. You know, somebody wants to having a problem. They're a sensitized mold individual. They've uh, finally got to the point that they feel that their house just isn't salvageable, or maybe it is, but it's just, it's too expensive to do that. So they're going to move to a different location. Sure. I'd have them do a hurts me on a house that they're going to spend $200,000 on. Why not spend $150 sample to get a sense as to whether that might work for you or not? So again, it's all about understanding how to use the sampling to your best benefit and not just as a, a fallback position. Well, I don't know what to do, so take a sample. That's, we don't do that in any industry where we're not supposed to. We're supposed to have an idea of what we're taking the sample for and how are we going to use the results when we get them back, how we're right. going to interpret those results. If you don't have a clear understanding of why you're taking the sample and how you're going to use the numbers when they come back, don't take the sample. Yes, agreed. So would this statement land with you? Because obviously this is part of the controversy and I don't have all of the study backdrop to support even what I'm going to say, except anecdotally what I remember and what I've experienced with clients is this. I've seen clients who've done the hurts me and some very basic things have been missed. Obviously, in almost every case, they're sampling incorrectly. They're, they don't have questions in mind. They're not expecting or anticipating certain types of answers. They're simply doing what somebody told them, thinking that there's going to be some magic genie that pops up out of the report that explains and interprets what it means. So obviously that's in play in the background. But I've had a number of cases where the hurts me didn't actually identify or call out the problem that was occurring in the house, and it completely missed it including maybe one or two other inspectors before I show up. And so the danger to me is it goes back right to what you say is taking personal responsibility, number one, and knowing why you're doing what you're doing. So if you know why you're doing what you're doing, and if you know that you're going to do a hurts me assessment and you know that it's only covering this many organisms, you know, this, these five organisms, and you know that there could be others that you might be missing something, but you're getting a core group, at least identified or not identified. Does that land well with you? Yeah, it does. And I also, again, I want to, I don't want to dog the, 
the ERMI or the HertzMe too much because, again, I think they're useful tools. You just have to know what the tool is doing for you. So the other thing I would point out is that typically it's hard to clean for specific species. Either surfaces are clean or they're not clean. And either there's a lot of spores around or there's not. So whether it's five different spore types that we're looking at or whether there's 26 different spore types or 36 different spore types that we're looking at, ultimately the idea is that you shouldn't, shouldn't have a lot of them around other than the ones that you know are coming in from the out of doors, which are more normal. So yeah, to say that, let me just put it this way. My understanding and my experience is if you get a high hurts me spore and then you, you did a side-by-side ERMI or you take an ERMI and you extract the hurts me numbers from it, high ERMIs tend to be high hurts me's and, and vice versa. Right. So here's the related question. What about the idea of other QPCR type sampling methods instead of doing the ERMI scoring system, the ERMI method or ERMI scoring system? Well, I think there's lots of room for development in the industry on that. But again, until somebody wants to do the hard work, and the hard work is take samples and match it with other information so that then you have some idea what the samples are telling you. So somebody has to go out. They have to do inspections. They have to talk to people. They have to do the medical tests. They have to do a symptom survey, something so that numbers correlate with reality yeah and if you don't do that then i'm not sure what good the numbers are right so in the end if i make kind of a final statement just to to run it past you and if we said that ermi and hurts me are two sampling tools in a large toolbox of options and there are other options for assessing your home besides those two sampling methods would that land well with you Sure it would, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, just because you have a lot of tools in your toolbox doesn't mean that they're all equally as simple to use. Yeah, that's a good point. A a hammer is pretty easy to use, and you can do damage with a hammer and everything, but if I pick up a nail gun and I don't know what I'm doing, I can get bad results, and believe me, as a do-it-yourselfer guy. I've done that before. All of a sudden, you've got four nails that have taken these two pieces of wood and and uh, essentially bonded them forever. Yes. Uh, you know, because if I try and take it apart now, I'm just I'm going to have to tear everything up. Whereas if I would have taken a hammer and taken a little bit more time, I could have driven the nail where I wanted it eventually. And just because tools are similar and just because people say, well, this is the next iteration and this is better than this version of a sampling tool or something like that, just understand that, yeah, they all come with their own little ways of being used. And some of them are more intuitive in terms of, I've never seen anybody, this is an unscientific analogy there, but I've never seen anybody pick up a hammer, even my own little kids when they were little and I got them play hammers. I never saw them pick up a hammer and start pounding on the claw end side. They just intuitively know we're going to pound on the flat end side. Right. And I think, you know, like tape samples are pretty intuitive. They are. You just You take off the little tape strip or whatever it is, and you push it down on the surface, and you've got a sample. All I'm saying is that the Ermi and the Hertzme, particularly on the collection side, are not quite as intuitive. And so if there's anything that people have learned during this podcast, I hope it's that if you're going to take those style samples, then at least follow some of the suggestions that I've made, which is identify the areas that you're going to take the samples, whether it's for a Hertzme or an Ermi, do a measured amount, wipe in one direction, make sure you hold on to that cloth so that the next area that you wipe, you're still wiping in the same direction. Or even before you start wiping, you know, there's nothing wrong with on the backside of the cloth taking a Sharpie marker and putting an arrow on it. So that as you pick it up, because, you know, by the time if you're doing a composite sample and moving from room to room to room, you may, you know, have to put the cloth down or something like that. So now, you know, hey, look, the arrow is on this side of the cloth and it's pointing in that direction. That means that this is the top side of the cloth. I don't want to wipe with that now. And when I pick it up to do another one, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to wipe it like that. That is super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but just 
build some replicability. That's a horrible term, but repeatability. Yes. You know, into the process and just do simple stuff and then understand a little bit of what you're doing. And, and lo and behold, you'll get better answers from both the laboratory and your doctor. And at least you'll have consistent information that you can be comparing if you need to do comparisons later on. That's excellent. So I, I think we should wrap this up for today. And what I want everyone to know is we're going to post links to some related articles about ERMI uh, as this gets posted, uh, this podcast. We'll have that in the Manage Mold Facebook page. And so you'll be able to do some research based on links that we offer up. And I really want you to consider what Michael has brought today. And, and I'll just, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. Michael is much more congenial about all of the hurts me and ermy pieces than I am at the moment. He's much more patient because I'm running into so many situations where I've had medical professionals throw clients needlessly into a panic. And when you panic, you can't plan very well. I've had medical practitioners tell husbands of wives, you have to do something right away or your wife is going to die. And it's all based on all based on an ERMI number or a hurts me number. And these fear things drive me crazy because they simply block people from making the best decisions for themselves. And so I am so the hair is all standing up on me about this lately because I've got so many clients that are emotionally and financially being harmed by what I think is an abuse of recommendation by a medical professional who doesn't actually know why they're recommending except that one particular group in the medical profession has made this to be a prevalent sampling, do-it-yourself sampling method. And so, so understand that and the backdrop of that about me, but then really listen to what Michael brought today because in all things, if you read through his materials and if you listen to him when he comes on the podcast – there is a very consistent and repeatable voice of reason and a very principled approach that Michael brings to all of this. And that is why it is, it is so amazing that we have the ability to have Michael come on these podcasts and that he's willing to share what he knows. And you guys are blessed beyond measure, beyond what you can probably understand right now until you spend more time with this family, with Michael and with his wife and about how they approach life. This is part of the anchor and part of the foundation of where we are in all the volatility in this industry and with the issues dealing with mold. So, Michael, do you have any parting words of encouragement or, or instruction for people? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind comments, and it's and it's taken to heart. We we try and live our values, and so that's kind for you to say that. But from a, a more technical standpoint, I just I also want to point out that we just have to be careful. I know that you've seen it being misused. And so your, you know, your negativity towards some of these sampling methods and how they're being used and everything is quite high. And I get frustrated with that too, but just, boy, you know, the whole phrase, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just want to make sure that you're not getting so negative toward these things that you don't understand that they can be useful if they're used in the right situation and the samples are collected the right way. And it's really not that hard to help people understand the right way to use it so they can get the best information from it and then share that information with their doctors and with their remediation contractors and with the consultants and with everybody in the industry. Because otherwise, if we just take the negative viewpoint, we become naysayers. And, and I see this all the time. I mean, people just savage me on some of the social media sometimes because, oh, he doesn't believe in hurts me or he does. He doesn't care for sensitized people. <laughs> you know, he's not one of the true believers and all this stuff. It's like, you know, it's not quite that black and white. There's these are techniques that are out there. We're still learning as we go. I try and keep an open mind towards some of this, but I don't like to see them abused either. And so I would just say, step by step, listen to these podcasts, learn a little bit more, dig deep, look at the references that Dean's going to you know, provide, but also don't get to the point on just one item. I mean, if you're happy with your medical provider and they seem to be helping you make progress 
and they're asking you to take a Hertz me sample or an Ermi sample or something like that, then my feeling was, yeah, I would move along with it. If the Hertz me and the Ermi sampling by your doctor is the latest in a long line of things that you don't seem to make sense in terms of your relationship with your doctor, people need to change doctors sometime too. And I'm not, you know, suggesting that people just run out and, and throw out any established relationships, but it's one in a number of factors that you can look at. Yes. Is that helpful? That's well said. Very well said. Yeah. All right. And so here's a great reminder, not only for me, but for anyone who's listening, be a lifelong learner. There are things that we can learn from each other. And obviously I come on, you know, today and we've got Michael and I expect that I know a certain amount of things. And I'll tell you, every time I have a discussion with people about these things and today, even with Michael, as we're doing this podcast, there are things that it causes me to reconsider about where are my thought processes coming from? What is my heart attitude in this thing? And what are the salvageable pieces, even in something that seems negative, to make it a useful tool for us uh, to use? So for everyone who tunes into this podcast, we want you to come ready to learn, and we want you to leave encouraged, and we want you to leave with hope that there are people out there working their tails off trying to find the best cutting edge with the simplest approach to help you out in these situations to help you understand what's going on in your home and as best as we can, not being medical professionals, but to help you understand that there might be connections with your health and some of this stuff might actually make sense for some of the newbies who are tuning in and for everyone else who's going through the middle of this, hey, be encouraged, be hopeful. There's some really cool people that are trying to help you out. So with that, Michael, till next time, thank you very much. Blessings, Dean. Thank you so much. Thank you. And everybody out there, be blessed this week and take care of others around you. Thanks so much for listening to the Manage Mold podcast. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer raw and uncut on the podcast? All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do three simple things. Leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. In that review, ask anything you want related to your home's health. And if you want a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name. That's all. Then listen in to hear your question answered live, raw, and uncut. This is Dean Malstead. Join us next time on Manage Mold.